All right. Well, I want to invite you to turn uh, in a Bible to 1 Kings uh, chapter 18 and 19 is where we're going to be hanging out. And I'd invite you to get there kind of quick because we've got a lot to cover. I actually had 24 points I was hoping to share, but I realized I had a little more time since it's the last service, so we're going to go with 37 points. Um, And since it's so many points, I want to make sure that you're paying attention and not losing you along the way. So there's actually going to be a test when you leave. Uh, There's going to be three questions on those 37 points uh, just as you exit the door there. And so you want to make sure you pay attention and take notes because you want to answer those correctly. Because if you don't, bad things will happen. Uh, for example, this afternoon, I'm thinking Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift are going to get in an argument. It's going to throw off his game and the Chiefs are going to lose. Unless, of course, you want that to happen and that's going to fire him up and then he's going to win. Like basically whatever you don't want to happen is going to happen if you don't get these questions right. But Don't worry about that right now because we need to be here. We need to be present. We need to focus on First Kings. So hopefully you've got that by now. And don't worry about the fact that the Chiefs are playing the 49ers later. The fact that 49, actually you've got 49 things you've got to get from the grocery store before tonight's Super Bowl party. And you don't want me to go too long because then 49 of those things, maybe 47 of them you'll get, but two you won't. You have to go to another store and you don't want to do that. You don't have time to do that. But don't worry about that right now. I'm sure we'll figure it out because we've got to focus here to get through our 37 points. So don't worry about uh, the 49ers or the Chiefs or that the chief's wife, the boss's wife, she's coming over tonight. So you might want to make sure you got the place ready. You got to clean up a little extra. You know, you got to, you know, speaking of the Super Bowl, you got to clean up that, the toilet bowl. You got to get that cleaned out like that, like that brown ring thing. Like, where's that even come from? What is that? I don't know. Get rid of it. It's gross because the boss's wife is coming over. And if I end up taking too much of your time, don't worry. You can always Speed clean. You know what a speed clean is, right? A speed clean is where, you know, you just kind of shove everything in the closet so you don't have to worry about it. But I'm not sure I'd do that because that boss's wife, she's a little nosy and she might open that closet and then all the stuff will fall on her and then you'll lose your job and then you'll have to go nowhere Monday. You'll have no job because, you know, the boss's wife, but don't worry about that tonight. In fact, Jesus even said that tomorrow will have enough trouble of its own. Let's just focus on today. Are we here today? Okay, First Kings, everyone with me? Don't worry about tomorrow unless, of course, tomorrow you realize this is actually a holiday, Lincoln's birthday. You know, Lincoln was our 16th president, which, you know, big deal, but he's from Illinois, which is kind of a big deal. In fact, even a bigger deal than that is 190 years ago, our church started in a log cabin courthouse downtown where, get this, Abraham Lincoln actually practiced law, which is kind of a cool connection. I don't know if you knew that, but it doesn't matter because, hey, Not only is tomorrow gonna worry about itself, but we definitely don't need to worry about 190 years ago. Who cares about that? Let's focus on today. Unless, of course, you realize that tomorrow with the holiday, you don't have your normal sitter because your sitter's kid is out of school, so that kind of throws off everything. But if you don't have a job, it doesn't matter. But don't focus on that. Don't worry about that. We gotta focus right here. Everybody with me? You good? You ready? 37 points? Let's go. Oh, how I wish... That was hypothetical. (laughs) Because some measure of some version of that is the reality that is racing through our minds on a regular basis, is it not? We actually asked you all a few weeks ago in a survey, uh, how many of you are currently experiencing stress or even burnout? And 68% of you said, yes, that's me. And then I made a joke in a video this past week that the other 32% of you are just too stressed out to be honest about the reality that you uh, are part of the 100% of us who either have or will or are currently facing stress in our lives right now. It actually reminds me of uh, the Alaskan native who was in his canoe and he he got a little chilly and so he started a little fire in the middle of his canoe but unfortunately the fire burned a hole in his canoe and his canoe sank. And so uh, it just reminds us and wait for it. 
that you can't have your kayak and heat it too. <laughs> Just can't do it. And I get it because we live lives where we want our kayak and to heat it too. We want to do it all. We want to take it all on. Uh, we want to get after it. And sometimes that comes with uh, maybe a refusal to acknowledge uh, our limits, and we get overloaded, and we get stressed, and maybe even burned out. And burned out is just where stress continues for so long that you are no longer able to function normally or even recognize who you even are. And we get it. We're stressed out. We're overworked and overscheduled with school as well as maybe work or maybe both or sports or activities. And uh, while we're overscheduled there, if we're honest, maybe we're a little underscheduled at home. And if we're real honest, completely unscheduled with God. Well, we're in a sermon series uh, on mental health, uh, where today we're talking about the topic of stress and burnout, uh, and, and the title of the series is Weeds in My Garden, with this idea that the garden serves as kind of like a metaphor for what we want, like a healthy, flourishing uh, mental and spiritual health, uh, but that sometimes uh, we have weeds that prop up. Every single one of us have weeds in our garden. Some are bigger than others, some are you know, more multiplied than others, but we all have them of different kinds. But we're encouraged, actually, by the words of Jesus in John 15. He says, relative to a garden, I'm the true vine. He talks about how we need to stay connected to him because my father, he is the gardener, that we have a good gardener in our God. And so we get this. I mean, we live in the world that we live in, and so we understand stress and overload and all that. But we're kind of like, okay, where, where does like our faith and Jesus and the Bible, like, does that really come together? Does it really talk about that? Um, well, before we kind of get into maybe diving headfirst into this topic of stress, let's zoom out a little bit and say, what are the topics you could say that we should be giving our attention to? Because when it comes to stress, it's often a conflict or an overload of priorities and not a lot of clarity on what those are. So what does Jesus say our priorities should be? Well, interestingly enough, someone actually asked Jesus that question head on in Mark chapter 12. Uh, said, you know, what's the most important thing? What's the most important commandment that we should be focusing on in our lives. And uh, Jesus responds, and if you've been around church any length of time, you've probably heard this. Jesus responds that number one, we're to love the Lord our God. That's number one. And to do that with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength. And that the second kind of comes out of that. It's like this, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says that there are no greater commands than these. So that's it, boiled down, we are to love God and love others, like that's our number one priority. And how much are we supposed to do that? Look what it says, Jesus says with, with everything, with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind and all of your strength. And so what does this tell us? Well, it tells us, relative to our topic today, when our hearts and our souls and our minds and our strength, when they're totally taxed, completely spent and stressed out and burned out, we recognize that it's in those moments that we don't have a whole lot of, you could say, all left to give, left to give to ourselves, let alone God or to others. And so we recognize that the truth is that if we wanna give our best to this life, to God, to others, that that comes from an overflow of a filled up healthy self, our mental, our emotional, our spiritual health, all wrapped up into one. Maybe to illustrate a little bit further, how many of you uh, know what this is? Okay, you guys recognize that? Okay, I'm gonna help a few of you out here. We're gonna let that drop here a little bit. Okay, now it's starting to look familiar, and if, if it's still not, let me uh, give you the, uh, the accompanying speech. <laughs> In the event that the cabin should lose pressure, oxygen masks will automatically appear from the ceiling. 
<laughs> to start the flow of oxygen, pull the mask towards you, place it firmly over your nose and mouth, secure the elastic band behind your head, and breathe normally. Although the bag does not inflate, oxygen is still flowing to the, help me out. Oxygen is still flowing to the mask. mask. Wow, you guys never flown, apparently. <laughs> or maybe you just don't pay attention during the little speech. <laughs> you got your noise-canceling headphones on, don't you? Well, let me help you out for the next time you fly so you don't die. Okay. <laughs> Although the bag does not inflate, oxygen is still flowing to the mask. And this is the important caveat. If you are traveling with a child or someone who requires assistance, first secure... All right, y'all are with me now. Okay. First secure your mask and then assist the other person. And why is this? Well, we know. We're not a whole lot of good to help someone else breathe if we aren't breathing ourselves. And so we get it. When we are filled up, when our, our hearts, our souls, our minds, when our strength is filled up, then we are then in the best position to be able to, again, give our heart, mind, strength, and soul to God and to others. In fact, look at actually a little closer at what Jesus actually says within these commands to love God and to love others. He says, to love your neighbor, what does it say there? As yourself, as yourself. That it's in this being filled up that we then have something to offer. And so we see this play out. Actually, you could say the good, the bad, and the ugly of all of it uh, in uh, a person by the name of Elijah, uh, the prophet Elijah, who we're gonna read about here in 1 Kings. And we've kind of briefly kind of mentioned Elijah over the course of this series as someone who had some mental health challenges of his own. He dealt with depression. He had suicidal ideations and struggles and stress that all came from really the weight of his commitments and responsibilities that he had serving as a prophet for God. Um, because a prophet for God, it's, it's not a glamorous job. It's, it's kind of a tough gig, actually, because primarily what prophets did is they would have to go to the people and deliver bad news about what God is going to do because they have turned their backs on God, unless it is, of course, that they turn back to God. And so Elijah in particular, he's kind of got it tough because he's up against this, this evil king, this terrible leader, a guy by the name of Ahab, and his even more evil, nasty wife, Jezebel. So just a little PS here, as you all start to have children and you're starting to think about who you're gonna name your kids and you're scanning the Bible, you're gonna wanna skip past Ahab and Jezebel. You do not wanna name your children Ahab or Jezebel. Don't even name your dogs Ahab or Jezebel. Now, if you have cats... Because what this duo was doing is they were together, they were leading the entire nation of Israel, all of God's people, astray. And not just leading them away from the one true God, but actually encouraging to worship a false God by the name of Baal. And so the people, uh, they're turning their back on God. And so Elijah, the prophet, he's got a tough PR gig. He's got to tell all the people like, hey, things are going to get bad, not because God wants to punish you, because he wants to bring you back to him. He wants to get your attention. And so there's going to be a, a drought and famine and like the whole world's going to kind of shut down for a little bit. And I just kind of wonder like, what would that be like? Like if the whole world just kind of shut down for a couple years and there were <laughs> supply chain issues and economic uncertainty. I mean, I don't know, just something to think about. But anyway, so this is what Elijah's got to communicate. So he's got a lot of pressure. Uh, you know, he's not a big, you know, a big popular person among the people. And then beyond that, you know, this, this is not like he's immune from it. He too is experiencing the results of this famine and drought. He's financially, he's broke. He's got no food. He's got nothing to drink. But God, 
you know, in the midst of all this, he comes through. He provides, uh, it says, bread by the mouths of ravens or bringing him food and meat. And then there's a little babbling brook that God provides. So he's got water to drink from. But then the babbling brook dries up. And so he's got no water, so things are kind of looking down again, but that's okay because God's like, hey, I'm gonna take care of you. I want you to go to this widow's house, this widow and uh, her son. I want you to kind of, which is kind of stressful. You know, you're kind of imposing on some people. You're not really sure how that's gonna go. But then when he gets there, uh, God uh, tells him, you know, to tell these people what essentially they've got, um, a little bit of oil and a little bit of flour to make one last loaf of bread in the midst of this famine. And the widow says, hey, we're just gonna eat this. And then my son and I, we're just gonna, we're gonna die. He's like, wow, you know, that's a lot. And then God tells him to tell him, uh, tell the widow, actually, I need you to give me your last, uh, your, last, your last biscuit. Like, give me your last meal. It's like, who wants to tell a starving? Like, what in the world is God? But God comes through again. He's saying that God's gonna multiply the oil and the flour, which he's done. So God comes through, the widow and the son, they're saved. But then the son gets sick, and then he actually dies. And so it's like, it's a roller coaster. It's like up and down and down and up and like every step forward feels like two steps back and I just kind of wonder how many of you can relate. The ups and the downs and the downs and the ups and the downs look like an up and you're not real sure and it's kind of like every step forward feels like two steps backwards. Well, we recognize that in this world that we are gonna have trouble, Jesus said, and there's gonna be stress that comes from those troubles, that comes from those bad things. But what I don't want you to miss, interestingly, that we're gonna see in Elijah, is that stress and burnout doesn't come from, from bad things, it can actually come from good things. It can actually come from good things. Uh, as later we see some good things, some success, if you will, for Elijah relative to being a prophet. Uh, a little later, uh, Elijah actually takes King Ahab on head on. Uh, you know, and he says, okay, let's set up two altars with bulls as sacrifices to our respective gods. You to Baal, me to the one true God, Yahweh. And so he sets up his altar and um, basically the, the challenge, it's like a steel cage death match of prophets. And so they go to the respective corners of the rings. They're like, hey, you pray to your God, in your corner, I'll pray to my God. And whichever God brings down fire on the sacrifice is both the winner and obviously the one true God. And so you know, Baal, you guys go first. So the 450 prophets of Baal, they start praying. They start crying out for God to, or their God to, to bring down fire and nothing's happening. And so I love this. Elijah actually kind of taunts them. He makes fun of them. He's like, hey, maybe, maybe he's taking a, a day off. He says, maybe he's traveling on vacation. He says, maybe he's on the toilet, he says. This is literally what he's saying. And he says, you know, maybe, maybe he's just taking a nap and you just need to sing and shout a little louder. And so they do, they take the bait. They start singing and shouting and, and singing songs to Baal, singing songs like, goodness gracious, great bales of fire. <laughs> and this bale is on fire. <laughs> and other great songs like, come on Bailey, light my fire. But nothing happens, nothing happens. So from there, Elijah takes over and he then gets his uh, deal set up by actually digging a trench around his sacrifice, around his altar, and then he calls for four giant jars of water to be poured over, which is, you gotta think about it. This is a midst of a famine. This is a precious, valuable resource where essentially he is kind of rubbing it in, like, hey, my God's gonna provide, which he does. He provides rain after all these events. And so not once, but twice pours these jars of water, and then Elijah goes into his respective corner and he prays a simple prayer. First Kings chapter 18, verse 37. It says, answer me, Lord. Answer me so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. So it's for the people. 
And then the fire of the Lord fell. And it burned up the sacrifice, burned up the wood, burned up the stones and the soil. It also licked up the water in the trench. And so God wins. And Elijah, he's victorious, and he actually has those 450 false prophets of Baal put to death by the sword. And so you would call this kind of like, this is like the Super Bowl win uh, for a prophet. Like this is his highlight, this is his big moment. He has done it, it's huge, and you could might even call it a mic drop moment for Elijah. So everything's looking great. But look what happened, look what happens just a few verses later. Actually turn to chapter 19, starting in verse one. It says, after this, now Ahab, it says that he tattled. He tattled and he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. He's whining, he's complaining. So Jezebel, you know, she steps in and she sends a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow, I do not make your life like that of one of them. I don't have you dead by tomorrow, Elijah. What well, says at verse three that Elijah, he, this, he, was, he was afraid and that he ran for his life. And so he's running, he's hiding, he's escaping. And I wonder how often in our lives that when the stress comes, do we run, do we hide? maybe an escape into something that we know is not good for us. It says that when he came to Beersheba in Judah, it says that Elijah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. So he's not only escaping, he's not only running, he's also doing it alone. He's leaving his companion behind and he is isolating, which we know is never good. And so Elijah, he comes to a broom bush and he sat down under it and he prayed this, that he might die. He says, I've had enough, Lord. He said, take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. So here we see Elijah. I mean, he's, he is definitely stressed. He is worried. He's burned out, like, to the max. And regarding what? The possibility that Jezebel might kill him. You know, and think about this, like where's his headspace at? Like how much does this make sense? Like he's afraid that he's going to die, so how does he respond? With a request to die. Like obviously he is not well, he is not in his right mind, he is burned completely out from the weight, the pressure, the stress of everything that has gone on and been going on, whether the, you know, the, the struggles or even the successes. And that's what we don't wanna miss, that yes, stress will come as a result of you know, difficult things, but do not miss the deceiving and slippery slope that success can sometimes bring when it comes to stress and anxiety and worry and burnout, as we again see here in Elijah's big win at Mount Carmel. In fact, a little bit of perspective here. Um, uh, when it comes to the Super Bowl here this evening, uh, that um, the legendary Dallas Cowboys coach, Tom Landry, shortly after winning one of his Super Bowls, he, he stated this, quote, he said, the overwhelming emotion in the few days after the Super Bowl among the players was how empty that goal was. And Landry concluded, he said, quote, there must be something more, end quote. So you think about that. I mean, 
relative to their career, their world. That is the, you know, like we use their like highest Everest mountain as a metaphor for everything else of achievement in life. It was the winning the Super Bowl. I mean, they, they had achieved the highest high in the highest of one of those desired fields within the world. And yet, it didn't satisfy. Psychologists actually call this success depression, that when we reach the top of that ladder that we had leaning up against that wall and we realize it's not all that we thought it was going to be. And so, when it comes to all this, when it comes to whether, again, the stress of success or the stress of struggle, there are, you could say, two real key takeaways that we can take from the life of Elijah and in particularly God's word at large when it comes to what we're looking at here, when it comes to the weeds of stress and burnout in our lives. And, and the first one is this, that we need to remember that we're not alone, that we are not alone by focusing on our spiritual health with God and with one another. You see, what fills up again our ability to live out what matters most, to live out loving God and to loving others is to recognize first that we are loved by God and loved by others. That's the way that God designed it. Um, First John 4.10, for God it reminds us of this, that, that this is love, like this is the definition of love. Not that we first loved God, but that he first loved us, and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins and the gift of a new life. And then not just God, but then what God gives us in the church is one another. Last week, we looked at some of these um, instructions to the church in letters written to the church throughout the New Testament. I think it bears reminding today that we exist to care for one another, comfort one another, encourage one another, that we're to be patient with one another, that we are to Bear one another's burdens, because this is how we love one another. This uh, past week, I was having uh, coffee with uh, another pastor friend of mine, uh, Jeff Watts. He's a pastor at Renaissance Church. Some of you might know him. And uh, we got to talking uh, about the theology of the Trinity, um, like the theology of Father, God, Son, Holy Spirit, you know, the whole, like, I know, like, just... If you want someone to bring the fun factor up at a party, you just invite us pastors, look out, invite us to your Super Bowl party, it's gonna be off the hook if we, if we can be a part of this. So yeah, so we're having this nerdy conversation and um, he recommends a book, which I pick up this week, and in the first few pages, I was reminded of this reality. It reminded me of the opening pages of the Bible, actually, Genesis 1-1, that simply says this, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God, which means that before there was creation, there was simply God in his very nature, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in perfect relationship in and of his very nature. And then it says, God created. In the beginning there was God and then God created the heavens and the earth, light and darkness, night and day, and even time itself. And with that, it was this small little quote that grabbed me from that book, simply this. It's the reality that before there was time, there was relationship. That before time itself was even created, before productivity, before stress, before even success, there was relationship. As demonstrated in the very nature of our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
You see, and it was this that Elijah, the prophet, needed to be reminded of. He needed to be reminded that he was not alone, whether with God or with others. Uh, as he, he, he laments, he thinks he is, he thinks he's alone. First uh, Kings chapter 19, verse 10, he says, he's complaining, he's like, I've been very zealous, I've been working hard, I've been getting after it, I've been productive for the Lord God Almighty. But the Israelites still, they have rejected your covenant, they've torn down your altars, and they've put your prophets to death with the sword. And I'm the only one left. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And so Elijah thinks, you know, he's kind of a little bit of a pity party here. Like it's all about him and it's all on him, but God reminds him. He reminds him, Elijah, you're not the only one. You're not alone, that I've been with you. As you remember, like even like I sent ravens, as weird as that was, to, to feed you and even the widows. Like, like, like I provided for you directly. And I've also recognized that you're not alone uh, when it comes to one another. In fact, God replies to him saying, Quote, I have 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not yet bowed to Baal. It's not over, it's not hopeless. You're not alone. And then even beyond that, God sends Elijah, you could say kind of like a, like a, like a Robin to his Batman. He sends him uh, Elisha, which is kind of his partner uh, and who will later on take on his ministry. So Elijah, he needed reminded, both with God and with others, that he is not alone. And you aren't either. You aren't either, because that is the way that Jesus designed our relationship with him, with God through him to be, and a relationship with one another through the church. Like That's what the church is. We say it often around here that there's nothing like the local church when the local church is being what Jesus designed the local church to be in one another's lives, in our community's life, and around the world. That that is the beautiful design of relationship that existed before all this stuff that we get to live in that we get to live in. Now, for Elijah, and maybe for you too, what's interesting is that even after all this has happened, even after all this truth, even after all the reminders of what God has done and how he's not alone, Elijah, he's actually still at his breaking point. He's still at his breaking point. Again, look at that moment under the broom bush in verse four, chapter 19. He's like, man, I've had enough. Like, I, like he's like, God, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors who are already all dead. Then he just, he lays down under the bush I, and it says he fell asleep. I assume he just passed out from utter exhaustion. And I point that out just simply to say, like, if, maybe for you, like, if you're being honest about maybe how you haven't been honest, like, the reality is you might be like, hey, like, Brian, like, if I was just having coffee with you, like, Brian, I've, I've done all this. Like, I'm, I'm praying more than I ever have. I'm in my Bible. I'm doing like the relationship, like I'm in a small group and I'm serving, like, like I'm doing all these things, but if I'm honest, I'm still not doing well. I'm still, I still need something. And, and, and you know, there's, like there's no silver bullets for any of these things, um, you know, but because again, Jesus says in this world we have trouble, but there's hope that he's with us in the midst. But I wanna show you one other point that comes out of the story that I think actually might surprise you as to what God's word has to say about stress and how to deal with it in our lives. Look what happens for Elijah next. Verse five, again, it says, at that, at once, an, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. And so Elijah, he looked around and he saw there by his head some bread baked over some hot coals and a jar of water. And so he ate and he drank. And then it says he lied down again. Which 
really reveals and kind of unearths a, a second key takeaway for us. That when it comes to, again, taking care of ourselves so that we're in a position to be able to kind of care for and love on others, you know, put our oxygen mask on first, that we also need to make sure that we're taking care of our physical health. We need to take care of our physical health, take care of the bodies that God has given us, where, which you could say through restoration. That would be a great word for it. What is it that restores you? Restoration. And, and again, like, this is interesting. Like, notice what Elijah doesn't get from God here. God doesn't, you know, send him another sermon or a, a memory verse or a Bible study or anything like that. Don't misunderstand me. We're obviously for all of that, uh, as uh, we just painted here in the first point. But look what he gives him. He says, Elijah, as long as we're at this bush, let's, let's rest a while. Let's rest. And then when he wakes up, what's God do? Just gives him a solid meal. Some bread baked over hot coals, hydrates him with a jug of water. And then what's it say? It says he lies down again. Elijah gets a, a second nap, another nap. In other words, sometimes, sometimes the most spiritual thing that you can do is take a nap, is have a good meal, is take care of your physical body, like whatever that means, whether through you know, exercise or, or recreation, which again, what's that word? Recre- it's like to recreate. What recreates you? What energizes you? What fills you up? And, and many of you already kind of know this already. You've heard this, and, uh, but I think it bears reminding in this setting that when it comes to like our mental health, uh, like mental health professionals cannot say enough about the role of our physical health as it positively impacts our mental health. In fact, it's been said that when it comes to our mental health, that for our physical health to make that a first and even often uh, is the best medication for our mental health, which again, we see holistically playing into our spiritual health as well. I've got a, a good friend up in Maryland. He's a pastor up there, and he is, uh, he's obsessed with pickleball. Any pickleball fans in the room by show of hands? Few? Okay, a few of you. Okay, yeah. So he is absolutely obsessed, but he says it this way. Like, for his spiritual health, for his well-being, he says, for me, play is just as important as pray when it comes to my spiritual health. It's interesting. Our physical and our spiritual, and how that all comes together here in Elijah and for our lives when it comes to our mental health. I heard it described once a number of years ago this way, and it's just kind of a, an illustration that has served me really well over the years. I keep coming back to it again and again that maybe it'll be helpful to you as well, that when we think about this idea of like what fills us up, okay, what recreates us, we wanna, obviously, when it comes to our lives, we wanna be pouring those things in. So let's just say this uh, reservoir, or whatever this thing is, this, this, this container here is our life. And so we wanna make sure we're filling up, that we find out spiritually, physically, what fills us up, and we wanna keep pouring those things in. But at the same time, we recognize that down here, we could call this uh, the stress drain of life, that when the stresses come and the commitments add up and the calendar gets overloaded, that that is what drains us. And, and maybe this is different for all of you all. I was just talking to someone in the lobby. It's like work kind of fills them up, so they kind of work that out. But you gotta ask, you know, what is it, maybe make two columns, what is it that fills me and what is it that drains me? And that looks a little different for everybody. If you're married, that might be a great conversation to have with your spouse to just know this, uh, articulate it about one another, what fills you, what drains you. And so, Obvious enough, but here's what I wanna point out. Here's the crazy thing, that when the drains of life increase, 
You know, again, more commitments, more schedule, more responsibility, and the stress pours out. What we tend to do is we say, because of all of these things, well, now I don't have time for, for pickleball. I don't have time for the fills. And so, and so here's the catch. The irony is, is that at the seasons of life where we're the most drained is when we are unfortunately most likely to neglect the fills when we need them the most. Martin Luther, uh, the great reformer of the 15th century, um, from a spiritual perspective, he, uh, he, it was, he was known for like praying for like two straight hours a day. Uh, and he would say this, he said, you know, when I knew I had like a lot going on that day, a heavy schedule and a lot of things I had to do, he said that, well, now I gotta pray for four hours to be ready for that. Now, I'm not suggesting necessarily that that's the recipe for all of us, but you kind of get the, the tension and the irony. It says when we need this the most is when we tend to neglect it the most. Is that helpful? Does that make sense? Yeah, okay. So, again, we've got to understand the full holistic reality of our spiritual health and our physical health as it relates to our mental health. It's all together. God created us holistic, unified beings, not to be parceled out. And so I'd ask you, how are you staying filled up? Spiritually, with God, with one another, as well as physically in your life. Because when we are, when we are physically and spiritually filled up, check this out for Elijah, picking it up in verse seven. It says that after this, the angel of the Lord came a second time, after a second nap. And he touched him and he said, here, get up, eat again, for the journey, it's too much for you. So he did, he got up, he ate and he drank, and then strengthened by that food, he traveled, it says, 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And so Elijah, he's out on this mountain uh, with wanting to you know, spend time with God, work on his kind of spiritual fill up, his spiritual health, and this is what happens next, verse 11. It says, then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And then after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And then after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. I mean, look at, I mean, this is like, seems like more stress, more noise. You got earthquakes and winds tearing apart mountains and fires and all this stuff, but the Lord wasn't in that. He's not in the wind and the earthquakes and the fire. What's it say here in the scriptures? It says that after the fire, it says, came a gentle whisper. The old King James Version says, the still, small voice of God. That when we are physically and spiritually and mentally healthy, that when we are in this place, that we have, like you could say, kind of putting our mask on first, we have this kind of compound interest effect that rather than the vicious cycle of stress and worry and burnout, that we can actually begin to have a positive cycle when it comes to invigorating health as receiving the love of God and others and the physical side of things. And then as a result of that, we're able to love God and love others well, which, you know, again, incurs more spiritual, like it's, like it's two different ways and things start to move upwards. 
In fact, when it comes to kind of putting this puzzle piece together for us as a church, uh, starting next weekend, we're going into a season of actually 40 days and 40 nights uh, of, of prayer and fasting around here. It's a, a season throughout the history of the church leading up to Easter that has been used to give, you could say, extra special attention to our, really, our spiritual and our physical health as it relates to our walk with the Lord. So we're going to kind of kick all that off next week on, and then the Monday following. And then uh, if you want to like a sneak peek, we've actually been doing um, Wednesday midweek prayers here in this room, the West Auditorium from 1215 to 1245. And that's been a really cool experience if that's something you want to also be a part of. Again, in this run-up, the series season of how can you be a little extra intentional about being healthy, about being spiritually, you could say, fit going into what we remember what God has done for us in his one and only son in Good Friday and Easter. But as we close here for today, uh, again, with 37 points, and don't forget the test afterwards, um, I can't help but share how Elijah's story ends. It's one of the coolest things in all the Bible. Uh, so you remember Elijah's Robin to his Batman, Elisha? So uh, Elijah's retiring, and Elisha is coming alongside. He's gonna take this mantle of ministry, and it says in 2 Kings that they're, they're walking along and they're talking together when suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them and Elijah went up into heaven in a whirlwind. I mean, this, this prophet's on fire. <laughs> I'm done, I promise, okay. So Elisha, he, he saw this and he cried out, my father, my father, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel and Elisha saw him no more. Now, I want you to catch what's happening here in that throughout the whole Bible, there are only two men uh, who never experienced death but were brought up into heaven, a guy by the name of Enoch and now later this guy, Elijah. And then later in the Bible, Philippians 4, 6, when it comes to things, it says that we are to be anxious for nothing. That's what the King James verse. Don't be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about stuff. Be anxious for no thing, Philippians 4 says. And the reality is, is that when we think about Elijah's life, do you remember what it is that he was most kind of like worried about and stressed out about? He was afraid. Remember that at the hand of Queen Jezebel, he thought he might die, and so he wanted to die. But get this. In this like miraculous move of God, like the very thing he was most afraid and stressed out was gonna happen didn't even happen. The dude doesn't even experience death. And so you could say that in the end, Elijah, he actually was anxious for nothing. He was anxious for nothing, for no thing, because it didn't even happen. Now, look, I know that's an extreme example, but it just reminds me of how often the things that we stress out about, that we fear are most gonna happen, how often they don't even end up happening. But then even with that, even if it does, I mean, again, in this world, we will have troubles, but even if it does, remember, Jesus says, I give you peace, that I have overcome the world and I can be with you as you overcome this thing in your world as well, so that you too, in this life, in a very real, but also supernatural way, can actually live a life that by his grace and his goodness is anxious for nothing. And so may it be, by your power, not our own, your strength, not our own. In the name of Jesus, amen.